Are there unicorns in the Bible? Did Jesus ride on dinosaurs? Is scripture anti-women, anti-science, and pro-violence? This is the Bible Reset Podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. I'm Alex Goodwin here with Paul Caminiti, and today we're excited to be joined by Dan Kimball to talk about his book, How Not to Read the Bible. Dan is on staff at Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California, and the author of several books on leadership, church, and culture. He's also on faculty at Western Seminary, where he teaches on the history and theology of worship, as well as Christian apologetics. We're all aware of the, you know, quote unquote, good parts of the Bible, the easy parts of the Bible, the things that make us feel good. But if we're honest, there's also a lot of strange and difficult and disturbing passages in the Bible that A, Christians aren't really sure how to handle, and B, which critics take advantage of to discredit scripture and and make fun of Christianity. So Dan is joining us to talk about how we can make sense of these, quote unquote, dark corners of the Bible and, and these difficult passages. So Dan, thanks for coming on the show. Sure. I'm uh, very excited to be with you because I believe in what you're doing very much. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, it seems like the Bible Reset podcast is, uh, is a really good medium to describe what you have done in, uh, in your book, How Not to Read uh, the Bible. It definitely is a reset, a reset book. And um, heavens, we are in a moment where... Uh, the Bible certainly needs to be reset. So we want to dive in uh, to that with you. But before we do, we have a tradition of asking our guests how they got hooked on the Bible. So uh, can you tell us your your Bible story? Yeah, my my Bible story uh, would be that I wasn't raised uh, in a you know going to church or in a Christian home. Though my parents would have probably said they were Christian. It was suburban New Jersey, right near New York City. So it was uh, that time. But it wasn't until college, I, I mean, I wasn't thinking about God or Bible or anything. But while I was at Colorado State University, uh, I was going to college there and walked by a little, uh, like one of those tables that campus clubs hand, you know, the hand out literature and some Christian club. And I still remember it so vividly because there's a little tract that said something like, uh, you know, Jesus is the only way. I remember like reading it and seeing Bible verses and going like, I didn't know Christians really think they're the only way or the only true religion. And I can say this, like I had nothing was, my life was really good. I was, you know, freshman in college and think wasn't having any problems. Uh, and, but something about that was so strange to me and that I couldn't shake it. And so I started wondering what do Christians really believe? And I had nobody Nobody was like telling me, go to a church. Uh, my parents weren't saying like, you need to be Christian or go somewhere. I had no friends inviting me to anything. And that's why I think it was God because I started saying like, all right, is this stuff real or is this what they believe? And the way I was to find that answer was to get a Bible. And I went down to some store and I bought a Bible for the first time and started looking at it. And the more I looked at it, the more interesting it got. And, uh, and, I, and I was, the biggest thing that got me, I'd say, my, my hook in the Bible was I had some friends in college, and I can still remember this moment that I walked into where I was living, and they all got quiet. I'm like, what? What's going on? 
And they said, we see that you're reading a Bible and we're starting to worry about you. Hmm. <laughs> like, and they said, you know, like, you know, uh, Christians, and they started saying things about Christians. Some of the things were like, Christians lose their creativity. They're obsessed with the uh, Armageddon and the end of the world. Uh, uh, you know, it, they're, and they're saying like, you know, one even said like, it's kind of like a cult. And I can remember they were saying it out of concern. They're my friends. And I, and I think any Christian should be asking this, like, are we in a cult? Like, is it true? <laughs> you know, yeah, we could be able to actually back out because we'll say other people have crazy beliefs. Like, and so for me, entering into faith exploration, I'm like, well, Christians have all types of things. I don't know where to go. I know that the Bible is where they get their source of information about what they believe. And that's how I got hooked on the Bible because I then wanted to go to the source, not to, uh, I wasn't part of a church in college. It wasn't until England. And an 82-year-old pastor in England, I still keep this photo next desk here, was I just walked to a church building there, the uh, Bible study, it was all elderly people except for me, and the, the fellow uh, took me under his wing, was wanting to me to ask questions. Uh, it was called Chapel of the Open Book, right? so they valued the Bible. Hmm. I respected his intelligence, and they didn't judge me for what, how I looked at the time. I was in a punk band, and I sort of like a mohawk and all of that. And he, they accepted me in, encouraged questions, and I placed faith in Jesus through learning about him through the scripture and having an elderly church that was helpful. But I got hooked in the Bible. I've been hooked since, to use that word, because if we've, I think, I might say this again later, like, I think it's madness that if Christians have the ability to read or listen in some form, and there's so many forms in what you're doing uh, is so great. I don't understand how Christians aren't hooked on the Bible themselves. And that's my mission too, along with you. So that's how I got hooked. Yeah. And it sounds like there's some continuity here between uh, your conversation with your friends back in college and probably part of why you wanted to write this book. Uh, but can you talk about some of your underlying motivations for writing how not to read the Bible? Yeah, I think um, I, I was, uh, you know, after me, after my journey, I was, uh, in England in that band and then traveled for a while, I came back. And then I knew after I was a Christian, then I got involved in a local church in Santa Cruz, California. I kept serving more and more. Uh, eventually they asked me to come on staff. And then I've been, uh, you know, on staff at basically it's two churches, uh, the one church, Santa Cruz Bible for 13 years. And then we started Vintage Faith Church as a church plant out of there. And I've been there for 17 years. So, uh, so, but being like, you know, same town, it's a university town, um, and been through some different phases and trends of what churches go through. But what's starting to happen, I noticed maybe like five, 10 years ago, especially, was that questions were coming up that weren't being asked before. And most of it had to do with the internet, was that accessibility to criticism of the Bible was mm -hmm. now there. And we're seeing junior hires, high schoolers, college age. And then all of a sudden, the things that the church has generally ignored that always been in the Bible, we've always focused on the nice. We're all of a sudden, especially when I say atheists, 98% of atheists are just kind, loving people and they leave Christians alone. And there's one or 2% that are the activists. Mm -hmm. They're the one doing things. So when I say atheist, I'm not making a generalization statement about all the atheists, but 
the activists that are that are from there, and they they put they they put together clever memes with Bible verses and graphics. They they have a website. Someone put on website evilbible.com, you know, showing all of the evil things in the Bible. And there's been a consistent raise in this with easy access online and cleverly done. And what's happening then, catching a lot of teenagers, college age, and adults off guard because they didn't realize a lot of these things were in the Bible, or they may have just you know, been skirted over and not really paid attention to. But because they're being brought to attention, it's now causing confusion, uh, mistrust in the Bible, and an excuse, which I understand right when you know teenagers, young adults get to certain ages when they're going to question faith anyway, and now they have kind of the trend of deconstruction going on. Look, and I couldn't help but want to write something to say there are reasonable answers to these things. Don't get fooled by memes. Memes are wonderful because we should be open for challenges and there are responses. So I couldn't almost help but want to put something out because uh, we needed it as a local church. Hopefully it's helpful. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there there is a full frontal attack right now. And, um, you know, you live in Santa Cruz in the Silicon Valley area, you'd expect that sort of thing out there. But, you know, we live, I, I live in Grand Rapids, which is this kind of like mini Jerusalem. And you can still drive through some rural areas and see, you know, signs that say Jesus saves or John 316. But we had, we had the billboard campaign here and they bought, you know, prime real estate on the highways with these very memes that you were talking about. Um, and they were they were cleverly done, and um, they were arresting. And you know, here's here's the reality. I think is that I, I think they may be impactful, and we're we're seeing some of this kind of alarming statistics now. You know, sixty four percent of young people that graduated from high school are now are now leaving leaving the church, and. Um, you know, the Barna Group, which I know you're familiar with, uh, they do the State of the Bible uh, research project every year. And there is this kind of unsettling tipping point that they just revealed after the last one. And it's, it's, it's all, you know, it's really fascinating. They have like five different categories of people that have a relationship with the Bible. So they have a Bible engaged category, but they have a Bible skeptic category. And both of them now are at 19%. So, um, you know, that mark is a near doubling of the skeptic number, which was 10% in 2011. So um, inroads seem to, are, are seem, seeming to be made. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's like a, uh, you know, it's not a perfect storm like it all is happening at once. I think it's been like a perfect erosion over the past 10 or 15 years or so, where many churches and youth groups and churches in general have been so focused on, uh, now there's always been a stream of like hardcore, we're going to teach the Bible all the time. And then there's a lot ones that are, you know, the average sort of evangelical church in the good usage of that word. Um, And you just don't hear, because I paid attention, you never hear them addressing these things. A lot of it is about the positive aspects of following Jesus, you want to know, and good aspects about um, 
you know, uh, how to live our lives and all of great teaching, but then I'm 19 years old and then this stuff catches me off guard when I'm suddenly being confronted with, does the Bible actually advocate slavery? What about the verses that seem like it does? And what about, you know, the anti-women verses and the talking snake and, um, you know, God commanding allegedly the killing of babies and 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 that that's why it's catching so many people off guard. It's always been in the Bible, but a lot of churches never address this, and 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 that's what's going on. So the skepticism can be rising up, and uh, understandably so. Like if I didn't know, like I'd be thinking the same thing. So this isn't like I I totally understand. So I uh, and in many ways, like now if I'm a parent of somebody who's deconstructed their faith and left the faith over this stuff, which has happened. I don't want to say this lightly um, because it's, it's horrible when that happens and it's very sad and never give up on your kids or your grandkids because God's got a story and you don't know what's going on, um, what's going to happen. But in many ways, I think this is actually a good thing for the church if, because it can then force the church to actually look more deeply about what we believe. And if people do get into the scriptures more, uh, even even out of defense, like, do I really believe that slavery is okay or or that, that it'll then cause our lives to change more. The more we're in the scriptures, the more we'll know God more, and the more we will then love love him more. And then, uh, and so in many ways, I can almost see it as a good thing, but I don't want to say that if you have a son or daughter or someone that you love that abandoned faith over this because um, that's not a good thing, but um, I'm hoping that this discussion will prevent some of those stories from happening if youth pastors, parents, and adult leaders, church leaders address this stuff before they get caught off guard later by it. Yeah, it's sort of a, a trial by fire or some sort of refinement, hopefully, uh, that happens because of this. So just to get into the specifics a little bit, you know, there's, I think you were talking about this, this works in a couple different directions where, you know, you'll have somebody that grew up Christian and then they say, and then I actually read the Bible and that was my path out the door of the church. And then there's people who are outside of the church that say, yeah, you know, uh, Christianity might be a good thing. I know some, they're nice people, but some of that stuff in the Bible is preventing me from walking through the door of the church. They're not necessarily the, the hostile, you know, pot-shotting atheists that you were talking about before. They're just um, you know, hesitant to come into the doors of the church because of what they've heard about the Bible. You talk about this one instance in your book with your barber, where he asked you about a specific thing within the Bible. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I joke about this, but it's totally true. But, uh, ever since I've almost become a Christian, I'd never go to a Christian barber, not Mm. because, uh, that they can't cut hair. But especially if you're like in a church staff, you're going to be more surrounded by Christians. I want to take advantage of every opportunity to be around others on a regular basis that aren't. And, uh, and so the fellow that has cut my hair, I don't know now, seven years or so, you know, he, knows, uh, he knows I'm Christian. We get in great discussions. He mocks, he lovingly mocks the Bible and mocks Christian and church. And he'd be an atheist. Um, he's not an activist, but he's definitely an atheist. I don't believe in stuff. Mm-hmm. So I go in one day to get my hair cut, and he just starts out because 
would be uncommon for us to talk about something like, hey, I didn't know you believed that unicorns are in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, like, what do you mean? He's like, I was online and I see there's Bible verses that's talking about there's unicorns in the Bible. And I'm like, I, I've never read the word unicorn in the Bible that I have. And I didn't know how to answer him. I'm like, I'll have to look it up. And so I did a search and sure enough, there's a whole bunch of memes and uh, graphics, you know, that are on Pinterest and that's on Instagram and then a lot of these websites that will then have uh, Bible verses with the word unicorn in it. And out of the book of Numbers, all of the Old Testament, my remembrance, there's like eight or nine of them. And so then you put a graphic of a unicorn, a Bible verse underneath it with the word unicorn in it. And then I've seen there's mocking, you know, just like know your Bible. That's on the, these memes. And he saw these. And so he comes in and he kind of joking with me about him. And it was an easy one to solve. I just had to say, after I looked it up, that was from the 1611 King James Version, uh, when they translated the Hebrew word, R-E-E-M, and I never, with an apostrophe in there, I don't want to always mispronounce words, but that's the, the Hebrew word, that uh, it, they, they didn't know what word to use because it was talking about a one-horned animal of some sort. They chose the word unicorn for the King James Version in 1611, not to represent the mythical animal that we think of today as unicorns. Most translations today will call it a wild oxen because they do know there was like prominent one-horned oxens at the time. That's probably what it was talking about. So it was an easy easy to solve one. But the example was my barber, who is not a Christian, doesn't search for Christian things, is not at all like he's not trying to disprove anything. He just saw it popping up a thing on Pinterest or somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's there. So that's the unicorn story. And that's just it just shows this stuff is out there, consistently out there and it's being seen. And that's why we have to respond um, to be in, in our answers. We have to respond to these things. Yeah, I think I saw one of the memes in your book, which, by the way, you know, you've you've sprinkled the entire book with some great graphics, including some of these memes. And I think the one that I saw was there's nine references to unicorns in the Bible and no references to cats. <laughs> and then the bottom says, this is your Bible or something, something to uh, to that effect. So your you know, your your point is well taken that the people that are leading this movement and i don't know that they you know have a headquarters or they have an official name but there there's a movement that's going on and that they're they're clever individuals and they they know how to uh, push buttons and i'll never forget the first time i went and heard christopher hitchens the famous atheist to debate his brother and you know it was spellbinding the guy was brilliant and so we we have people that are working there, but their attacks, Dan, I would say, and and I think your book kind of supports this. They're fairly predictable. There are all the there's these these categories, and they all kind of go there. So talk to us a little bit about you know the sections of the Bible that kind of come under the heaviest fire and that that become the hot topics. Yeah, I mean you do you do see a re, you know repetition. Uh, you know, out there, and you did, you are correct, Chris, uh, and I don't know, 
um, you know, I can't say I know the reason of why people do this, but there's some people that just, it's um, intentionally trying to get Christians to doubt their faith and doubt the scriptures. And like what you said, some of them are really well done. They're, uh, it's clever. Uh, there's a mantra of the fastest way to become an atheist is to read your Bible, you know, but most Christians don't read their Bibles. You know, there's some stat that I just read by one of them that said 80%, I don't, you'd know that this is true probably, 80% of Christians have never read the Bible all the way through, uh, you know, and they're saying that. So most, most of you Christians don't even know that slavery is in it. You know, the, these are the repeated themes. The Bible supports slavery, even a father selling his daughter into slavery, from the book of Exodus. And you'll see this theme about slavery, Old Testament and New Testament. Slaves, obey your masters. That's a New Testament Bible verse. Look at what your God endorses slavery. Um, they're constant, a lot about violence. And the Bible is filled with violence. Not all the violence is commanded by God. It's capturing primitive people in New Testament times of when there was violence. There is violence and, it's, and it records wars and battles and and violent acts that human beings did. Uh, so all, though the Bible is violence, it's not all God telling people to do it, but there are times when God did say to use violence, and they'll say, how could your God just want to slaughter babies? Because there'll be specific Bible verses they'll bring out. Mocking of anything science, you know, about, you know, a lot of them, the creation story. Uh, now, here's something about science. The Bible has miracles. The resurrection of Jesus defies science. There is, uh, you know, when, when Jesus heals someone or walks on water, those are literal events. You can't, you know, um, metaphor them away. Uh, and that is, that is God, who is God, defying and intervening in the natural laws of things, and you can't explain it by science. Now, yeah. saying that, there's a lot of mocking of things in the Bible that, are saying, look at the science part, and and it's and those are things that are explainable in ways you know that's not so trivialized like they make it. So there's the science part. A lot of Bible verses that are being raised up thematically about anti-women. The New Testament in First Corinthians when it says, "Women, be silent," and it does say this. You know, do not speak up in the church. Go home and ask your husband's questions there. It is a um, you know, uh, it is a disgrace for a woman to speak in the church. And you'll see that verse pulled up, pasted on a meme uh, with a woman with her mouth taped shut. So you'll see these repeated, repeated themes. So understandably, there's going to be questions about them. And those are like common themes that you just see over and over and over again. Violence, anti-women, slavery, ridiculous sounding laws like don't eat shrimp, don't plant two types of crops side by side, um, you know, all of these, uh, you know, don't get a tattoo, and you'll see a mockery of the Bible and Christians, like, look, you Christians are hypocrites. You cherry pick the Bible. Uh, you know, do you eat pork? Have you had, a, have you had bacon? The Bible says don't eat bacon, so you're, you're, you're a hypocrite, because you'll say, this is, I'm going to make you believe this, but I'm not going to believe this. And it makes great memes, well done, and it confuses people if you've never looked into this.
And and for our listeners, we don't have time to cover all of those different things that Dan talked about. But as far as I know, I believe every single one of those is is in the book where you where you get into the ancient context and that sort of thing. I want to zoom in a little bit on just one of the the topics that you mentioned, which is science, especially as it relates to the opening creation story in Genesis. Um, can you give us kind of a thumbnail sketch of the the general criticisms of the opening of Genesis and how that actually in in your mind and and most orthodox Christian academic minds um, misreads and and misrepresents what the opening of Genesis is actually trying to do? Yeah, I mean it's um, a big point, and this is you know sort of basic Bible study method. So it's not anything necessarily new, but do we do we practice it? And, you know, a major part of Bible study methods would be, you know, and then John Walton from Wheaton University uh, has a phrase that I use in the book that says, um, the Bible was not written to us, but for us. So, and I think that's very true. You know, you can, the book of Revelation was written to the seven churches, actual churches back then. The book of Romans was written to the Roman church. Now we learn from it and God has things to say to us from those, but you always have to say who was it written to and why, because that's it was written to specific people groups in specific time. So Genesis wasn't written to us; it was written to, again, it's basic stuff. The ancient Israelites who were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, God rescued them miraculously. Not you know, not you can't um, metaphor them. You know, the plagues away, there are real things that happened. God rescued them using miracles that defy science and then brought them into the, the land that they had to wait uh, before they moved into the promised land. And then at that point, God was then wanting to communicate to them who he was. There were no scriptures yet. These were the scriptures being written. Um, and so the question we have to ask is, is what was God wanting to communicate to the ancient Israelites that were in a polytheistic world for 400 years, no written scriptures before, and wanted them to know things about himself. And so uh, the questions that they would be asking back then were like, do we worship this God like the Egyptians worship their gods? Uh, does, you know, is the sun God? Is, uh, you know, how, what's our relationship with this God? All of these questions that God was then answering to them, and that's what you see in the accounts of Genesis, because they had other creation accounts that were known back then, and God was telling them, no, I created the sun, not the sun, you know, I created the moon, you don't worship the sun and the moon. So we want to look at the Bible to our questions, you know, was, how do you explain the fossil record? Were dinosaurs on the ark? You know, uh, what were the building blocks of life? And we get stuck reading into the text our contemporary questions, but that's not what Genesis was written for. And once we understand that, it just unfolds so much more beautifully, makes so much more sense. There's still tons of interesting uh, various viewpoints, but it shouldn't be something we battle about. And to me, I think I'm saying this, I don't know if uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I was going to say it's a sin. It, it kind of is to me. If Christians battle about the creation account, interpretations, 
in today's world. We don't have the, we don't have the, it's not the day and time to be battling about that. Mm. And we'll say this, if whatever perspective anyone has, if they say, well, they're not taking the Bible seriously and they're just, uh, that's so wrong. People have different interpretations of the creation account that, that love the scriptures. They believe they are inerrant, inspired, uh, but they're looking at it actually, to, in my opinion, with a little more common uh, biblical that Bible study methods. So anyway, yeah. I think it's madness to be arguing about that, which is sad in today's world. We don't have the liberty to be arguing about that stuff. Yeah, that's um, that that's fascinating, and um, the the whole issue about who this the particular scripture um, was being written to resonate with us. One of our favorite, you know, uh, lines is when you read the Bible, you're reading somebody else's mail, and so you know you have to uh, you have to take that in into account. So, Dan, you know this this would be then. I think this is one of the key points that you weave throughout the book that you, you can't look at verses. <laughs> in fact, I think, I think it's in chapter three, uh, somebody makes the statement, never read a Bible verse. And their, their point of course, is that, that, um, that is verse jacking. That's pulling something completely out of context. If we took it a, a uh, a line from a, the Star Wars movie and did the same thing. It just ends up being ridiculous. I think you use that illustration um, in, in your book. But there's a, there's another kind of key principle if we're going to begin to make sense of things that on the surface feel like nonsense to us, and that's liter the literary genres that are represented in the Bible. So can you talk a little bit about that as well? Um, you, you mentioned it that the Bible as a library and what difference does that make in the way that we, we can make sense of these uh, challenging parts of the Bible? Yeah. Like, um, Bible is, you know, and I didn't understand this when I first had a Bible, you know, I, I pick it up and I think it's like a book, like Lord of the Rings, it has a beginning and end. And there's, uh, I still remember it felt like a medical dictionary except numbers and columns, mm -hmm. what it used to and technical terms. Like, you know, if you look, when you're not a Christian, you're looking at the Bible and there's words like you know, Corinthian or mm -hmm. strange names that you've never heard of before. It feels like such a foreign you know, book, even the way it's laid out. But, um, but basically, when you do, uh, you know, what you said is like never read a Bible verse. And you also said something like people have, we have been taught to read it like a love letter. It's a love letter to me. Like, mm -hmm. I want to say, yes, it is but it wasn't really written to you, you know, like it, and I, um, we like, it's, it's this, it's as easy as saying, um, it was not, it was written for us to understand God more. And there are many, many, many parts that apply to our lives today as it did 2000 years ago or 3,500 years. Um, back to like the, the library is that when you pick up this, the Bible, it's not a single book. And I didn't understand that at first. And again, once you start understanding that it's not a single book, it starts making all the more sense. It's a library. And in our contemporary way, we've broken it down. It's you know, 66 books. 
you know, some of the books in the original way were like, you know, two in one and we divide it into two length and different things. But say for 66 books, and it's like when you walk into a library today and you go to the history section or the law section or the poetry section, you're not going to pull a poetry book off the shelf and expect it to be reading like law. You're not going to read a law book and expecting it to read like poetry. And many times, unless we understand, we don't really grasp that, we can find verses and, and come to very wrong conclusions because we're not taking into consideration genre. And then not just genre, but what about time and culture and how different things were used in different time periods? And a lot of the laws that you'll hear about constantly mock, you know, you know don't eat shrimp, don't get tattoos, don't... Uh, don't touch the skin of a dead, dead pig. So therefore you shouldn't eat bacon. You know, some people take it as far as don't touch football. Don't play football. You'll see mockings. It made that show West Wing. Like anybody like yeah. listening right now. Here's a great example. Type I remember in that scene. Yeah. West Wing Bible on Google. And, uh, and there's a great scene. I've showed it in our church. So I showed that whole scene in our church at the end of a sermon. And it's the, uh, Martin Sheen, who plays the president of the United States, and the um, radio, they're all radio people. And it's like, you know, he's meeting with all the radio folks. And then he challenges the Christian, you know, it's like, first starts off about sexuality and then jumps into, and oh, so you also, why do you, uh, should I sell my daughter into slavery? Should I stone my mother for, you know, planting, planting crops side by side? And then he's listing Bible verses. And the argument sounds like slam dunk. I can't believe this is in the Bible and makes a fool of the Christian because she just stands there. I don't even know how to answer this, you know, but here's one of the questions is even about touching the skin of a dead pig. You should play football. And then he jokes about, I must have to wear gloves to play football. And the, the irony of this to me was that one, when you look at the Levitical laws, they were for a people group at a certain time. And when you study them across, they don't all apply today. You have to study the New Testament to see what were the laws that continued. A lot of the moral laws did continue. Most of the dietary laws or civil laws, most of that was for that people. So one, it doesn't even apply today. But here's what I'd say kind of disturbed me the most. Like, obviously, uh, a football today is not even made of pigskin. That's the nickname, right? And you'll see shirts, uh, you'll see memes about football players. It, it, this made a Golden Globe award-winning TV show to mock the Bible, to say uh, you, you shouldn't touch a football because it says don't touch the skin of a dead pig. Football's got their nickname from like medieval Europe times when they take a deer skin and wrap it around a pig bladder and they somehow started calling it pig skin. It still is a nickname for footballs. But they're not out of pigskin. But how did that get passed? This is all my question. How were they so intent to want to like mock the Bible? How did that get passed? Like, say the screenwriters came up with it, then nobody, and when they're the actors, when they're reading it through, said, hey, wait a minute, pigskins aren't actually, that's a nickname. It's not made from pigskin. Then it didn't get to there. The, then the film people, like, it, it seems like there was such an intent to mock the Bible that no one even caught that, that footballs aren't even pigskin. Yeah. So they didn't, you know, going back, they didn't go into the library and look at where those verses are from, pull it off, 
those were Levitical laws to, to the people of Israel and the Levitical priests at that time to, to have a life that was separate from the surrounding people groups. And the surrounding people groups were doing strange things in their worship practices that we don't understand, but the Israelites would have understand. And that's why you'll have a lot of those strange laws. This is all about being separate from the other people. Don't worship like the other people around them. They were killing their kids, the sacrifices, and all this other stuff. So the Bible's a library, and you got to just not, whenever I open my Bible, I almost, I, I've so trained myself. I'm like, what? I picture walking into an ancient library, walking over to the shelf or the shelf. And of course, when I open up the letter or the book, then I'm going to say, who was it written to? Why? When? And that makes all the difference. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, that's such a helpful mindset to get into. And uh, I know that um, some of these Bibles that are coming out, like readers editions, like, you know, not to plug our immerse, our immerse set or anything, are these multi-volume sets. And I think that does help you kind of get in that mindset of the Bible as a library versus one book like we're used to. So, uh, so last question for you. From your vantage point as, as a pastor and also involved in seminary, um, how would you say most churches are handling this, this issue? Like, are, would you say most church leaders are proactively working to help people read these difficult parts of scripture, um, educate them about literary genre and original context, that sort of thing? Um, and if not, how would you encourage them to, to start doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say the church because there's so many different kinds. Right. But um, I'll say in general, uh, including myself, you know, for in, in years past, uh, we, we didn't focus on, we were so, church leaders are so passionate about like people like knowing who Jesus is. And then how do you deal with relationships? How do you deal with, uh, you know, you're going to get married or finances or, you know, how do you know that you're loved? You know, like good things. but. For the most part, and I've done a lot of, I've looked at so many, especially of the most prominent influential churches in America, they might be teaching it in classes, but I almost see zero of this being taught main teaching. Mm-hmm. And the good news is I think those that are connecting with people are starting to realize like you better address some of this stuff. Um, but I'd be, I'm surprised that uh, more haven't. And whenever you're starting to hear these deconstruction stories, so many of them are raised in churches. And, and unless they're lying, and I don't think they're lying, they're saying, like, I never heard an answer to this stuff. And then here's the sad part. And I've heard enough of these stories. It's the same. I asked my youth pastor, and he didn't know how to answer. Uh, I talked to one guy, and he said, when he talked to his leader, they just said, I don't know, someone in, in heaven will know. And he said, I couldn't intellectually uh, that. Then he asked his parents and his parents didn't know. And I'm not telling parents you'll have to be Bible scholars, but yeah. when he said that his parents didn't know, he's like, how do we know how I know this isn't a cult. I could go down and talk to a Muslim family and mom and dad. And, and they, they believe they're right too. Maybe I've just been raised in something that's not true because my parents have never even looked into this. And there's a challenge that's happening. And I just, churches have to, I mean, have to, have to, have to take this seriously because it's very widespread. And um, 
you know, and that's why I'm so thankful for what you're doing and understanding the passion to see people read the Bible in, in, in ways that they'll be able to easier and better and more biblically in terms of with Bible study methods in there. Um, you know, I also, this is a side note, but I also think a problem is a lot of churches I've noticed, especially the ones that are thriving and growing fast, they, I don't like using the word hire because we're not hirelings, but we hire staff from within. And because of the high cost of seminary and education, and we hire generally in churches from within because volunteers rise up that have good people skills, good communication skills, good leadership skills, can lead music, and they aren't educated. So we have often, I've noticed, in many, of many, many, many churches, people put in the most key positions of being a, 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 a role model and a teacher to you know, young adults, children, youth, music leaders, all of that, and they don't have training in Bible. They're good music leaders, but they don't know. I talked to a music leader, he, never, he, he, he barely knew any of the Old Testament books, and yet he was in a, in a fairly significantly sized church leading music. Again, God doesn't judge us on our knowledge, but when they start getting asked, asking questions and the leaders can't answer them or at least give thoughtful responses, it's going to discredit us immediately. And that yeah. is what's happening. So we heard a story uh, recently from somebody who has a, a growing international ministry in the Bible, but she started out as a a musician, a Christian musician, and she would, you know, go to churches and, and sing. But then she she would talk about her faith in God. And somebody challenged her at one point and asked her, have you ever read through the entire Bible? And she said, well, no, I never have. And his response to her was, well, you need to quit singing and talking about God until until you've done that because your, your witnesses suspect, and to her credit, she did. And, um, and she now has an influential place in, um, in, the, in the Bible space. Uh, but she took those steps, and I, I agree with you, Dan. Yep. Yeah, well, the, the, the hope right now, I mean, the great news uh, is that there are responses to these difficult questions. You know, as I wrote in the book, the toughest one, in my opinion, is the violence. Because God did use violence at times. But the side to that is when you do know the God of the whole Bible, you have trust that when he used violence, there were reasons for it. And I trust him because I've read through the whole Bible, so I know the whole story. Yeah, well, thanks, Dan. Uh, this, this, this has been super fun. Um, really helpful. And, and to our listeners, we'd certainly encourage you to, to check out Dan's book, How Not to Read the Bible. I think we've said a couple of times in this podcast, super accessible, very easy to read. You're not going to be getting into big scholarly tomes or anything, but he just lays out some of these thorny issues and, and offers some very plausible, very reasonable explanations for why the Bible says what it does in those spaces. So it's, I, I assume, available everywhere you can get books on Amazon, through Zondervan, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and yeah, so go check it out. Today's episode is brought to you by Changemakers, which is our community of monthly donors who have pledged to give what they can each month to help change the way the world reads the Bible. If you're interested in joining Changemakers and support, supporting our work, 
Head over to instituteforbiblereading.org slash changemakers to learn more and sign up. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one.